0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to another Tabletop Ramble, I'm your host Jacko, on this week's show I've tasked the team of trying to pick out their highlights from 2020, no easy task that. In the Kickstarter kick around we're taking a look at Winter Queen, postcard board games and the story Masters Tales, but before that here's this week's Tabletop gaming news. For all you miniature war gamers, Warlord Games have announced that they are going to do American Civil War. So the American Civil War is one of the most studied military conflicts in history. There was absolutely hundreds of battles. Now you'll be able to fight these battles on a scale they deserve with epic battle systems. This is based around the award-winning Black Powder rule set and will have period flavour tweaks added to it. They're bringing out a starter set, which is absolutely rammed full of stuff. You'll be able to play as the Union Army and the Confederates. Each of them is going to have 12 regiments, so you're looking at about 100 men each. Then there's going to be 12 cannons and 12 mounted commanders, so that's 2,400 infantry in one single box. These aren't going to be kit-based, so you'll have to build these from the plastic sprues, so if you're a hobbyist, it will be right up your street. Also in the box, you will be getting all the rules and dice that you need, plus some nice MDF scenery. The starter set is available now with plenty more additions coming next year. (laughs) Arcane Wonders have revealed some games that are going to be coming out in 2021. The first one is called Sherlock 13. This is by Hope S. Huang and Vincent Dutrait. This should be released on January the 27th. There's Four Gardens by Martin Dollifale. This looks a Japanese-style game and is due out in Q1, Q2. There's Furnace, which is an engine-building game by Ivan Lashin. This is due out in Q2 or Q3. There's a new viral expansion called The Hive. Again, this one is Q1 and Q2. And finally, Aquatica is getting an expansion. This is Cold Waters. It's due out in Q1. It's by Ivan Tazovsky. It should play between 1-5 players and take around about an hour. Those are all the details I have. (laughs) Steamforged Games have just released a new Peaky Blinders card game called Faster Than The Truth. It's for 3-6 players, ages 14+, and should take about 30 minutes. The game is based on a hit TV series which follows the lives of the Shelby family as they take over the rough streets of Birmingham in the 1920s. In the game, you'll have to bluff and trick your way all the way to the top. To get the upper hand, you'll have to gain enough influence to beat your rivals. You'll have to gain resource cards that are based on things like muscle, money and prestige. There's also some intrigue cards which will enable you to sabotage your rivals. These will enable you to gain resources or even steal them from your opponents. These cards are double-sided so that you'll either be able to play it safe and gain a small reward, or if you wanted to risk it, you can gamble to gain a larger reward. Any fans of the show might find this one interesting, and it is currently on sale for £14.99. And finally, Force 9 have some updates for us. As mentioned in one of the previous episodes, Spartacus, a game of blood and treachery will definitely be coming out that's due to be out in March as I've said before this is one of my most favourite games and if you've never played it I heartily recommend it in this game you take on the role of a Roman Dominus and you lead your house and you're fighting for victory in the gladiatorial arena and a bit of plotting and backstabbing won't hurt your cause you'll want to gain influence as you climb the Roman social ladder the multi-award winning June the Ball game will be seeing two more expansions. This is introducing the Choam and the Recess. These are additional factions that you'll be able to swap out for the existing houses within the Arrakis. The World of Tanks Miniatures game will see four new tanks for each faction. These will include the likes of The Comet, The Churchill, the Sherman, Panther and Tiger. So, if you're a fan of that game, there's plenty more coming your way for 2021. They're also hinting at more Star Trek, more Dune, and more Firefly. Hmm. And finally, just in time for Christmas, the long awaited Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Corpse, has hit the stores. And this comes alongside the expansions Ultimate Badasses and Get Away from Her, you beep. <laughs> We just so happen to be very big fans of Aliens here at Tabletop Ramble. But maybe some more Alien content coming your way from Tabletop Ramble soon. As the year is coming to an end, I'm sure we'll all look back and think, oh, what a year that was and can't wait for it to be over. But here at Tabletop Ramble, we do like to look on the bright side. So I've tasked the team with trying to pick out their best moments from 2020. So let's hear from Adam first.
1: Okay, so my top five games or gaming products of the year. And um, the first four are all um, accessories that I've used to play the final one that's in the top spot for me. Um, And they have... Can you hear the snow and hail banging against my window? Deepest, darkest winter. Um, And the first one is the Mythic Games Emulator deck. Um, And this is by World Mill. And this was a bit of a a revolution uh, for me. It has allowed me to play any of my role-playing games solo, which has been important to me during this pandemic. Um, And it's it's kind of done my uh, well-being wonders because... I'm a bit of a collector of role-playing games. but well, then it brings me down that I don't get to play them all. Um, and that be, can be because of finding players can sometimes be difficult, although in this new world of, of the internet, it's, it's much easier than it ever was. But I do have a big collection of role-playing games that I don't always get a chance to play. Now, the Mythic GM emulator has enabled me to play all of them um, solo. So any spare time I've got, I can sit in front of my computer, um, and, and, and and play these uh, the reason I say computer is because I bought the uh, digital version of GM Emulator but you can buy it as a physical card deck so it's a deck of cards uh, and you may be asking well what, what does that do well when you would normally ask uh, a games master, your dungeon master a question, you ask the gm emulator it's an oracle you ask the oracle a question so you may uh, say oh I've, I've spotted you you may have got to a stage where you've spotted uh, some some uh, goblins up ahead and you may uh, ask the gm emulator have they spotted me a simple yes or no question there and you flip cards and it might give you a yes or no depending on the situation how the game's been going there's a thing called the chaos factor if, if things have been going well for you then um it might be um less likely um that things will are going to get worse um, but the other way if the chaos factors uh, things have been going bad then they might get even worse now um, so it's a fantastic resource. It gives you prompts um, of, of why people might be acting in a certain way, um, why incidents have suddenly happened. Uh, it gives you inspiration for NPCs. So an absolutely fantastic resource um, and has revolutionized uh, my gaming for this year it's never really had the resources or the opportunity or the motivation to do solo uh, role-playing, and Mythic has just made it so easy. Yeah. Um, which then leads me on to... Well, that did lead me on to... I thought, well, this is fantastic. Um, what else have these guys created that can help me with my games? Um, and I discovered the Adventure Crafters deck, which which kind of takes um, the, the Oracle a step further. Where the GM emulator can be a spur-of-the-moment thing, you're asking the... Uh, Oracle, you're asking the games master questions. The Adventure Crafter is another deck of cards, but he's more about the prep. So before you start the game, it can help you come up with uh, adventure seeds, ideas for what today's session is going to be about, and it guides you through that has so many inspiration points in there. And you come up with adventures that you know it amazes me. I didn't even know they, those kind of things were inside my head, and that's the good thing about these two products. They pluck. Ideas that must be in your head already, but I would have never been able to articulate it without the prompts and the guidance that these two decks. Provide you when you first look at these cards, it, it just seems so complicated. But the the rules uh, and the guidance within that come with these decks is so easy to use once you get your head around it. Like any game, really, once you've learned the rules, um, you know you, you pick it up quite quickly. But can look intimidating to begin with. So you know uh, that enables me when I've got a bit of extra time, might want to do some prep. But I'm not scared of using the GM emulator either and just throwing myself into a game and seeing where the deck takes me in my own imagination and and using these two uh, products to stimulate my brain and and pull out like I said ideas and uh, adventures that I didn't even know were up inside there On a similar theme, another thing I've been using lots this year is the Games Masters Apprentice, another deck of cards. Because these are things that don't take much much space up on your on your gaming table. You can easily put them away, and suddenly, you know, if you need them, pull them out, flip over a few cards. And what the GM uh, Games Masters Apprentice by uh, I think that's by Lazarus Designs, and um, we'll provide the links for all these. Um, it's, it's a massive toolbox on, the, on a card it gives you uh, NPC names it tells you what's in their pockets it tells you what you might smell what you might see what you might hear um, you can roll dice with it you uh, has strange symbols on there to spark your imagination um, anything you could possibly need uh, in the middle of a game you, it's on a card for you and I went all in with these, so I've got I've got the space version, the pirate version, the slasher horror version, the generic uh, fantasy version, the modern day version, futuristic version. I think they have uh, even a pirate version. So any game that I could wish to play, um, I've got an assistant, an apprentice with me to help me uh, run those games. And this doesn't have to be solo. I have this deck when I'm running um, any role playing game. Um, with with other players, if if I can't think of someone's name, I might quickly just uh, flip over um, a GM apprentice card. Or if they talk to someone random that I wasn't really planning on them talking to, I might flip the card. I've got, I know their name, um, and I can't remember whose advice it was I once read, but um, you know think about what's in your character's pockets tells you a lot about them. Um, So I often flip over some Games Master Apprentice cards um, and find out what possessions they've got on them, and that can tell you an awful lot about a person, what they're carrying in their pocket. Finally, the fourth tool um, that I've been using um, to play the game about to reveal to you um, is Une, the Universal NPC Emulator. So those other... Products, the, the uh, Games Master's Apprentice is fantastic at generating NPCs for you. Uh, I tend to use it just quickly for names actually and what's in their pockets. Um, the Games Master uh, Emulator deck, again, very good at generating ideas of, maybe, I tend to use that maybe more for the motivation of behind the NPC. But if you if you meet someone special in your game and you think I really need to flesh out this person, or in your prep beforehand, I really need to, this 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 NPC is going to be important. Then UNE U uh, N E, the Universal NPC Emulator by Conjecture Games, is the product for you. Uh, full of really helpful tables that you roll on and and. The, the ideas, again, that it plucks out of your brain. Some of the, the, the words that you generate might feel a bit random at first, and then your brain just sparks with this uh, idea of who this person is. Um, so I think maybe these products do rely on your imagination, but um, I'm not sure I'm the most creative, imaginative person in the world, and I've pulled things out of my brain that um, are characters that I must have Read about, or um, they must be based on something that I've a video game, a book I've read, a film I've seen in the past. And I think what these products are doing are just pulling those ideas out of your head, or just combining, mashing together inspiration that my brain's filled up with over the years. And finally, for the big reveal, my favorite game and product of the year is Forbidden Lands by Free League. Ah, people have listened to me on here before and read my stuff before know I love free league I really enjoy their games um and forbidden lands was sat on my shelf for ages I bought the I went all in bought um all the books uh the expansions to to go with that because I just loved the idea and the artwork of it but just didn't get round because I, I have a really uh, good dungeons and dragons group um and that was kind of uh, meeting that need within me to play out some fantasy um, so it kind of got sat there because um, I didn't feel uh, that motivated to go find some new fantasy players but um, when Covid came along and it was harder to go to those groups um, I turned to Forbidden Lands and after discovering all those solo products Forbidden Lands was the first game that I went to to utilize those tools. Now uh, if you're familiar with the uh, Year Zero rules uh, that, that, that that Free League uses for, for, for all their games, well, most of their games anyway, um, you're going to pick up Forbidden Lands pretty easy. It's got um, qu- quite a bit extra on top of it. So if you maybe uh, Tales from the Loop or um, some of their newer games, VASEN, Alien RPG... Um, I find Forbidden Lands has got a, um, it's a bit more complex than those, but you'll pick it up quickly if you've played those games before. And if you haven't played those games before, it's not um, that difficult to pick up. But it's set in a world where um, there used to be, there was this red mist that covered the land. So people had to uh, stay very local or you got ripped to shreds um, by the red mist if you ventured too far so the world was quite small for people didn't always wasn't always the way red mist came along people's worlds got much smaller they had to stay local and then the game's now set where this red mist um has started to dissipate and you can people are uh bravely re-entering the world venturing a little bit further each day to try and find um and reconnect perhaps some of the old towns and villages and um And loot some of the uh, abandoned temples and things like that so um, it's a it's a game of of rediscovering repopulating the map really um, and meeting all the strange and wonderful creatures and people along the way I've been playing a goblin um, who was abandoned by their his parents at birth and one of the interesting things about Forbidden Lands is that that, that halflings and goblins are related um, and that sometimes halflings can give birth to a goblin or sometimes goblins can give birth to a halfling. Um, so actually my character, we we don't know if his parents were halflings or goblins. They abandoned him um, at birth. Uh, he was given over to this mysterious tree uh, called Bakari Arjun. Uh, again, just plucked out of my head. Um, that's the situation I was presented with, flipped a few cards, this wonderful character that I've enjoyed role-playing, Bakari Arjun, uh, the elf that's grown into an an ancient tree. Anyway, um, the wolf pack that lives in this glen with Bakari Arjun bring up my character, the goblin, Um, and his adventure starts quite gentle really he's living in this glen never really ventured out of there because of the red mist um, and one day some hunters come along and that's where my adventure begins really the things start to go wrong from there and um, Tick is my character is called his um, world is never the same again um, once he realizes that other people living the world and are out to get him or would come and kill his wolf pack So absolutely fantastic game. You you didn't come here to listen to my adventure, just my uh, product uh, recommendations for the year, but maybe that gives you an illustration of um, how using all those tools... Um, i've been telling you about just uh, plucked that idea out of nowhere really maybe there was a bit of inspiration from the forbidden lands books because they they talk about how elves ancient elves sometimes just kind of become uh, not really abandon life but slow life down and and may become uh, growing to these ancient trees um, so maybe that uh, in, inspired that idea that, 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 that the cards helped me develop um, but, yeah, what it is, a fantastic game, good combat system, good uh, adventuring, discovering system, repopulating that map. Uh, very much enjoyed that uh, combined with all those uh, solo playing tools. So, yeah, a, a book, a role playing game, beautiful role playing game that was sat on my shelf, probably wouldn't have got played for ages, has now um, really uh, enriched my life and really enjoyed playing it this year. <laughs> hello to all you tabletop ramblers
2: this is rob here with my 2020 roundup (laughs) this shouldn't take too long okay well first off let me say to you uh, congratulations for making it through 2020 i know we're nearly there we're nearly there so if we can just hang on for another couple of days maybe we can see the back of this year which has been like a bin fire inside a um, plastic dog poo factory So, uh, what has there been good about 2020? Um, there have been elements, hold with me, hold with me. Um, First off, I suppose some of the releases that have come out in 2020 for me, which have been sort of fairly good, fairly good. First off, the second expansion to Shards of Infinity. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Shards of Infinity, but it is a deck builder, It's a uh, versus deck builder, but instead of something like Star Realms, where you can only have two people playing, this has potential for four people playing. Well, did have potential for four people playing, but with the second expansion, we now have a good old five who can play. Um, So, yeah, I mean, deck builders as it is, you sort of draw so many five cards, and you play the cards in your hand to either buy or attack or draw, all that sort of thing, so all fairly familiar there. But what they've un- introduced in this uh, second expansion is a whole uh, cooperative campaign. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it seems like a strange thing to have for a deck builder, but campaign. So what you do is you've got your little book, and you've got uh, various bad guys, and you sort of it. It's kind of it's like kind of like a combination between choose your own adventure and a deck deck builder because you'll get to the page it'll do a bit of story and then it'll say and then the big bad comes along and you have to play through the big bad try and knock out the big bad and continue your merry way not only do you get to do that though in the campaign but you also get to beef up your deck with uh cards that are being featured across the uh i suppose the two expansions and the base set itself So it does have a proper kind of campaign sort of legacy feel without having to tear up cards or put stickers on. Um, And you get a fifth player um, who is this sort of time-travelling superboy type thing who has lots of time-travelling dogs around him. So it's kind of like a cross between Superboy and Tintin with a big sword. But yeah, so that's... um, Shards of Infinity, Shadows of Salvation, because I didn't tell you what the name of it is. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't played Shards of Infinity before, I do recommend it, even if you have played Star Realms. It's uh, it's a good little game, it's, it's nice and uh, cheap, I suppose. Cheap is good, yeah. Uh, but also it's you can have uh, more than two players, and there's enough going on to make it different from Star Realms to have in your collection. So that's my first one. Um, Shadows of Salvation, Shards of Infinity. The next, I suppose, highlight of 2020 is not necessarily a product, um, but it is the fact that we did actually get to go to Aircon. I think this was the first and last convention of the year. Now, it might be said that it was possibly foolhardy, to run this at a point where things were just starting to go horribly wrong, but I think it managed to keep people going for a while. It was kind of like, let's have this last hurrah before we all have to shut down, because a week later, yes, everything was shut down. And that was it. That was all the conventions for the year. Um, now, a lot of the big ones, so UKGE, that managed to go online. Um, Tabletop Live that managed to go online, uh, so you had uh, was it um, Essence Spiel as well that that went online, but there was going online. It's it's not quite the same as being face to face over the table, is it, ladies and gentlemen? So, but it was good to have that. You know that just 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 one one go, one go at going to a convention. Hopefully next year we'll be able to get to go to a lot more and yeah have a bit more face-to-face fun. My third for 2020 is, um, surprise surprise, another deck builder. Look, I haven't got a deck builder problem. I just... all oh, right. I have got a deck builder problem. I just really like them. And um, this deck builder, though, is a little bit different because it's actually a war game. Uh, now, some of you might be familiar with Undaunted Normandy. Which came out a couple of years ago, and was set uh, at the Normandy landings. The separate follow-up, Undaunted North Africa, came out earlier this year, and it continues on that theme. You've got two players playing against each other, each with their own decks, and the decks provide all the moves for the uh, all the moves and actions for your um, for your troops. So yeah, you could get a card that's sort of your artillery or something which would allow you to move it or allow you to attack or allow, or if you're a saboteur, allow you to blow things up or engineers allow you to blow things up. There's a lot of blowing things up in this. So you've got that as well, but every time you take wounds you have to take cards out of your deck. So once you run out of cards of a particular um, of a particular soldier in your deck that's it, that, that soldier is essentially KO'd. So that's what came across from uh, Undaunted Normandy. Undaunted North Africa is a different set of campaigns. It's the uh, it's the Italian army versus the, I suppose, what was the British expeditionary force in Africa at the time. And uh, it's kind of like the Italians are trying to knock out this partisan actions and the British are trying to sort of sabotage the Italian army. Um, but as well as your, um, your soldiers, you actually get to drive around in little tanks as well. So you've got vehicles in this, and there are spaces on the vehicles where you have to put your soldiers, and uh, you know the, the vehicles can be knocked out, and you can come running out of them. So there's a little bit more to it than uh, Undaunted Normandy. Still the same, um, very accessible war game feel to it, but um, with a little bit more. And I would hardly recommend it to anyone, uh, even if you're not sure about deck builders or war games. It's it's a nice little piece of work. The fourth thing for the year. Um, okay, I know twenty twenty has been horrible, but there have been some some nice bits to it. And one of the nice bits to it was you end up meeting. People who you've never really come across before uh, only a couple of doors down. So this is a kind of uh, dedicated to someone who I've made friends with just down the road, and uh, they're a gaming friend. And the reason it all came about is, uh, if you remember right at the beginning of lockdown, People would leave things on their walls. So if they sort of uh, finished a book or finished a DVD or, or finished whatever or had toys or things like that, they just leave them in their walls because they knew that people couldn't get out to sort of non-essential shops or things like that. But they thought, well, I've done with this. It's you know, it's just taking up space. Why don't I give it to someone else? So I was sort of walking down the road, doing my allocated piece of exercise, and lo and behold, I saw on this wall, uh, someone had left uh, a couple of games, and the freebie game from Aircon, which was Don't Get Got, and I thought, this person, whoever they are, must be a gamer! So, um, after about a month... (laughs) I got up the courage to finally say, right, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen if I post something through their door and say, uh, do you play games? By the way, I live up the road. Um, I didn't really think about that at the time, it could have gone horribly wrong. So I did write a little note, post it through the person's door, and a couple of hours later, uh, I got a response through my door saying, yes! I like to play games and I didn't realise there are any gamers in the area or I didn't realise there are any gamers so close so let's something, set something up so, um, yeah, we've had a couple of gaming sessions uh, in back gardens and things like that but it's nice to know that, you know, people are out there gamers are out there and not as far away as you think and that one day when we can all get round the table again it'll be... it'll be cushy, it'll be groovy, it'll be lovely. So, a little reminder of normality there. Finally, number five. Um, I suppose the joys of solo gaming. Uh, I hadn't really sort of thought about solo gaming in the past. Um, I didn't realise so many of my games had a, a solo gaming option. But, you know, needs must when the devil drives. So, there have been a couple of games which have um, really helped with the whole solo game uh, thing. The first one is Underwater Cities, which is a sort of funny little sort of build your city uh, work placement game. Uh, but it also has a really tough solo, um, solo thing. Which I haven't managed to beat yet, uh, so that kept me going for a while. And also, I mean, this is this cu- this counts as a new thing for twenty twenty, and that is uh, ultra tiny epic galaxies. Uh, if you're um, if you're familiar with the tiny epic games, you'll know that sort of you get this little box which usually contains a lot of game, but with the ultra tiny epic galaxies. It's an even littler box, which contains just as much big game, um, and what was really surprising about it is that with my, you know, my massive sort of coal shovel hands, uh, I was still able to play the game comfortably. Uh, the dice weren't too tiny, the cards weren't too tiny, um, and yeah, it was. It's something that's basically the size of a normal deck of poker cards, um, and it's a lot of game in a tiny box. It's also very cheap. I do like cheap games, uh, especially when they've got lots to them. So um, that's about it for 2020. I'm hoping that 2021 will improve. Uh, I think any improvement will be a vast improvement uh, considering that 2020 hasn't been wonderful. Anyway, uh, so i say uh, happy new year. You all hope to see some of you in the new year when we can work out what normal is again, okay
3: bye hello once again it's Pete here uh offering some of the highlights I've experienced over the last year the best of twenty twenty It's been a heck of a year in regards to gaming opportunities, COVID really made a mess of things. So um, what I've done is had a look at the games that have really worked this year for both myself and my family. Um, I'm sure all of us have had some experience this year of the joys of playing games via Zoom or some form of cam recording device. And there's probably a couple of games which have worked really well for a lot of people. Um, but the two games that I'm going to pick out which have worked really well for us, one which you've already heard of, um a game called Deep Sea Adventure, but another one which has worked really well is a game called Skull. Now, Skull is one of these games which you can buy, and if you do buy the box set, it's beautiful. Um, it 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 has beautiful artwork, very kind of um rose and skulls, kind of um. um tattoo artwork on 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 the playing pieces but um if you go onto board game geek it has also got a set of rules available there but i'm getting ahead of myself because i'm not actually explaining the game to you um skull is it's a bidding game um much like poker um but it's a lot simpler than poker each player has only let's have a look they have four cards one of them is the the skull of the name. Which is obviously the name of the game, and uh, the other three remaining cards are, are roses. Um, now, as I said, uh, the, the game itself—if you do choose to buy it—the um, cards which you get in which you get in the game have six packs of these of these skulls and roses, and each of them are the size of beer mats and have a similar consistency of beer mats with this beautiful kind of skulls and roses uh, tattoo artwork on it. Alternatively, what we've done is just use a standard fifty-two uh, playing deck of cards with each player taking a face card representing their skull and um, three ordinary cards um, from the deck. Um, so it, again, it's one of these games which when it comes to playing virtually over Zoom, it's very easy to set up because I'm pretty sure everybody has on them a deck of playing cards. So once you've sorted out your personal deck of cards, um, you you each take turns in Taking a card from your hand and playing it face down in front of you. Um, each player, after each player has taken a turn, you have a choice of adding to your own deck or placing a bid. Um, and then you carry on to the next player. Once someone's made a bid, then the, you can't put any more cards down in front of you. But you just have to bid and you're bidding on how many cards you can pick up from from your, from your own deck and other players' deck before you find a skull. Um, when it hits the bidding phase, you don't have to at, um, go up sequentially. So if there's four players playing, for example, and of those four players, there's... Every player's put two cards down, there's eight cards. Someone can stop the bidding can start the bidding at one or at seven. It's really up to the players in question. And likewise you don't have to go up in you know, in ones. You can someone can can bid one card, the next player can bid four cards or seven cards. It's it's entirely up to you and how lucky you're feeling. Um this carries on until um only one person is remaining in, the, um, in that. Other players can pass when it's their turn they don't have to add to the bid if they don't want to. And the last player remaining has to reveal the number of cards that they bid on, starting with their own stack of um, of cards. Now, this is obviously going to result in one of two things. Um, they're either going to successfully um, draw um the number of roses, or they're going to draw a a skull. Um, One thing which I will say, once they've they've drawn the card from their own deck, they can decide which deck they want to draw from. Um, So it could be any of the player's deck, and in in any order. Um, If they succeed in drawing their chosen number of roses, they win that round. If they don't, and they draw a skull, they have to forfeit one of the cards in their hand to the player whose stack they drew the skull from. So you can' this can end up with some very interesting situations in that you can have one player just playing with one card uh and that card could could and alternatively or likewise um you can have players playing with a deck of hands which don't actually have a skull in which don't actually have a skull in them you don't have to reveal which card you you've discarded from your own hand, so there's lots of kind of you know round the table banter and kind of bluffs and counter bluffs going forward um the game the game ends when one player has won two bets or, or two bidding wars. So it's to use the phrase that's keep on being used, it's a great little game. It's very easy to set up. It doesn't it doesn't outstay its welcome. And it's something which you can set up um quite easily with anybody um owning a deck of cards. So yeah, the first game, the, my first highlight of 2020 has to be playing skull with other people. Via, I think it was Facebook Messenger we used, but because it's such a straightforward game, it, you you can get anybody playing it really. Family, you know, friends, family, uh, or other gamers. So yeah, first um, recommendation of or not recommendation, the first highlight of this year has probably been playing Skull with with lots of players and having a laugh online. So as I've already mentioned, uh, COVID's really messed up um, opportunities this year to. Um play games with groups of people so I've probably done what most people most people in the gaming community have done is if you can't play with people that you normally play with you turn to those around you and su- constantly suggest games to play um, because obviously there's myself my partner and uh, my young child all of which I've mentioned in previous podcasts um, we've really been looking at um, two player games as, as um, ways of bringing opportunities to bring to play games forward um i've already mentioned santorini and that's probably been the big hit with caitlin uh, my six year old this year but another two player game that i got this year is which has worked really well it's a game called hive so well in fact i think i spent um because i got it for my birthday i think i spent pretty, pretty much all day playing it it's it's um it's i found it very addictive um if you haven't come across Hive, um, it's a two player game. Um, it's an abstract game, and each player has a number of beautiful, beautifully weighted um, hexagonal pieces, each with insects on them. Um, let's have a look. There are, there's one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five different types of playing piece. Uh, the most important piece being, being the, being the the bee the queen bee and you take turns in placing the your pieces in front of in front to create a board state or a chain because each piece has to connect another piece and the objective is is to try and trap your opponent's queen by um, having six pieces around them so so essentially the um the queen's unable to move Um, each of the pieces which come with the base game, you have spiders, beetles, ants, and grasshoppers. Each of the pieces uh, move in a particular way, much like in a chess game. And yeah. Um it's actually been compared to chess. Um, it's also well, the only game that I'm aware of that's actually been uh, recommended by Mensa. So it's it's it, it can be a bit of a brain burner, and um, yeah, it just it's got a great weight to it. it. It unlike chess, it plays in probably about I'd say maybe ten minutes. It, it doesn't overstay its welcome, and yeah, it's really I love it. It's really, say it's it, it got to the point where. When I was playing it with with, with both Terry, my partner, uh, and Caitlin, I'd be like, "Can I just take a photo of this? Because I think I, one of us has won. But if if I'm right, I'd like to go back to the, where the game state was at now, and talk through what happened and how we got here. It, it's it's one of these games which um, it can it's incredibly cerebral, but it's also it can become a game which you're sharing ideas and you know." Um, uh, ways in which the game's played and how the game got into a particular state so it, it, it's a game which does create conversation and uh, someone someone who, who's never really been a big fan of chess i found chess just a little bit like an examination at times it gets to the point where it's just like oh my god i don't know what i'm doing with this with hive you can play out game states quite quickly um and you know set the game up again quite quickly so unlike chess it definitely doesn't have welcome um just giving an indication of the pieces i've mentioned that you've got spiders you've got beetles you've got ants and you've got grasshoppers um spiders move free free um um spaces around the actual the chain uh, beetles climb over the chain ants move all the way around the chain the number of places that you want and grasshoppers jump over the chain um the game's played by, like I say, by playing pieces. Um, you take it in turns to play pieces. Um, you can't play a piece next to an opponent's piece. I'll, 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 um, obviously, that's not the case with with the first turn, but other than after that, you can't play a piece opposite um, or ne- or touch an opponent's piece, and you can't use that particular piece's ability until you've played your queen which you have to do within the first four rounds of your turn. Um, and that's it. Um, oh, and the Queen can move one space along. And that's pretty much the, the game, you know. it's um, When it's your turn, you can either um, move one of your pieces in, in the way that it moves, or you add another piece. And the first player that has their opponent's uh, Queen trapped is the winner. It, it sounds simple, but like most deceptively... Um, complex games it it starts off very simple and then you create a game state where it becomes exceptionally complicated very quickly the other thing i also have to mention is that you can't break the chain of pieces so if you've got say six pieces and one of the pieces after you've moved it has created a gap in the chain that would be classed as an illegal move um it's one of those games when i first heard about it i thought this could be either really really good in that it's um very straightforward, or it could turn into a game where you just constantly suffer from, from analysis paralysis trying to work out what's the best move available. And that's not to say that analysis paralysis doesn't happen in the game, it does, but because the game plays quite quick, you're not spending 20 minutes thinking, Well, if I make this move, does that person make this move? and you know, messing up a, a game strategy for a game which is going to last you a long time. Um, so, yeah, Hive great little game so that again um which plays two players and there's no mistakes welcome so the, so the next game i have to mention um will be the game which um finally forced my partner to admit that she actually enjoys playing games so much though, so, it's the game she actually went out and bought um the day after she was introduced to it um There have been opportunities this year uh, to play with people um, outside the household with lockdowns coming and going and people moving in and out of tears. And one of the games that um, uh, Terry was was introduced to and found out with, and it's probably the game which he would play at any opportunity, given the opportunity, is a game called Viticulture, or as we refer to it, the wine game. Viticulture is a Euro game uh, or worker pla- and a worker placement game involving making wine. Um, one of the house rules that um, has been insisted on whilst we play it is it's a game you can't play unless there's literally a bottle of wine on the table. Um, a very important house rule which we abide to quite religiously. Um, the design of the game and the artwork of the game is beautiful. Um... It, it looks really nice uh and involves um you making uh wine really that's pretty much it um you start the game well the premise is you have inherited you've inherited a, a vineyard from your parents uh and you select your parents like everybody does obviously uh by drawing a mama card and a papa card and on that mama card and papa card it will give you your your basic game state of how many workers you have, which you can place in various areas on the board, uh, how much money you have to, which you can use to buy things, and how many cards you start off with. Um, there are several decks of cards. There's different uh, vines which you which you plant to grow uh, wine. There's summer visitors which have. Um, there's some there's summer visitors and winter and winter visitors which um have a dramatic effect in the game and is one of the most obvious ways of winning the game. Uh there's orders, which obviously um when you have the right uh, amount of wine available to you, you can you can fulfill an order and gain vict- and gain victory points and also gain a residual income. The game is played over several rounds each round consisting a year in the vineyard Um, the board has various areas on on your vineyard and you take it in turns in playing pieces uh, to either build structures which um, can help you store more wine or grow more wine or um, have more visitors and gain more victory points um or there's opportunities to play like i say summer visitors in the summer or winter visitors in the winter which um give you lots of different special bits and pieces that you do more things and gain more victory points and um or um in the winter period um fulfill an order which is a way of um gaining residual income and also gaining lots of victory points um yeah it's that easy really um uh, let's have a look. Um, so um, the board's um, broken down into into seasons: uh, spring, summer, uh, fall. Because it's an American game, unfortunately, but we'll call it autumn and winter. And um, during those particular periods of the of the year, you take it in turns to play pieces uh, on the board uh, to let you do different things. So in the spring, you can obviously draw more vines into your hand. You can plant vines but that's in the summer. Uh, you can give tours to get more residual income. You can build stretches um, and you to play and you take it in turn and play in these pieces and then you move on to the next season. So in the, in the in the summer you can play summer visitors, you can plant your vines, you can do all sorts of nonwards and onwards in the winter in the in the um in the in the autumn you gain cards and in the winter you can harvest fields and and start making Um, wine, and fulfilling orders. Um, So there's a main game board, but you also have a player board, which shows you whereabouts your wine are, where where your wine tokens are in regards to uh, the grape uh, um, in regards to crush pads. So once you've harvested your field, uh, your wines go into a a crush pad. There's red wines, well, there's red grapes and there's white grapes. uh, And the longer they even the the more potent the stronger they get and the more victory points you you earn from those from those grapes when you turn your grapes into wine you can do you can turn you can have red wine you can have white wine you can have riso, rose wine which is a combination of the red and white and you can have sparkling wine which is a combination of two red grapes and one white grape um, those wines go into your into your cellar but when you start the game you have a basic seller if you want to if you want to have some more of the 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 higher value wines you have to spend money to get a bigger seller uh so yeah there's there's lots of engine building in this game and um, using the cards help you develop the engine quicker um and that's the game it's it's a Terry loves it. I mean, it it it's very much the game which kind of um, she really got drew uh, she redrew really to and um, growed with, and it really is I think a lovely Euro game. Um, the The first person it, the, the, to win the game you have to earn. Uh, I think it's twenty victory points, which you do by the quickest way of doing is by by basically selling wine using the wine order cards. But there are other ways you can get victory points by the which which the summer visitors and the winter visitors very much help with. Um, it sounds complicated. It's not the it's not the it's not like a beginning level game. It, it is quite a heavy, crunchy euro game, but it's one which you're never really confused as to what you can and can't do. It it it, it the game boards and the design of the game is it, is done in such a way where it the game explains itself, which is very very helpful um the difficulty is in is in when to play the a card really because some cards will trigger effects so it's working out which cards to play when and because it's a worker placement game um you are in a state where you can block other players from taking certain actions um as someone who's not a big fan of euro games um I was very impressed by this, and it really made me want to kind of learn it better, learn it better to become a better player. Unfortunately, my partner took to it like a duck to water and is invent- essentially invincible at it. Um, but if you're willing to invest in a game, which um, will last a good evening to play, so a couple of hours to play, or also you know whilst drinking wine and enjoying wine, I heartily recommend it. So yeah, my third highlight of, of the year was getting Terry playing games and um, being introduced to viticulture. Now, as much as Terry's beginning to develop her love for games, um, one thing that she's clearly made um, clear is her dislike for cooperative games. To say that she's competitive is an understatement. To say that she dislikes um, any cooperative games is also an understatement, however um, because lockdowns really um, or the COVID's really stopped us um, from um, having groups of people around to play some of the more combative games um, i was obviously looking for games which the purpose could play over the course of an evening but also would be engaging enough that it wouldn't get it wouldn 't get stifled or or dull. Um so one game I was looking at because uh she just loved solving a puzzle uh was Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective. Now Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective is it, it it puts you straight into the world of Sherlock Holmes. It's it's played by essentially you are presented with a puzzle, you're presented with a case from Sherlock Holmes and um uh, you are invited to try and solve this case um the way it's played is um with each case you are given a, you're given the newspaper for the day and some case notes from from Sherlock um alongside um these you have a map of london and a directory for certain locations within london um Sherlock gives gives you mention to residual characters that that could be useful. So if you're a fan of Sherlock Holmes, you'll be familiar with people like um, Inspector Lestrade, you'll be you'll be familiar with, with, with Mycroft, you'll be familiar with some of the other pla- with some of the other um places and characters that appear in the game. So alongside the residual characters, you'll also come across some of the suspects and some of the actual locations um which I mentioned. With the case in in particular and also the newspaper for that day will give you some more clues which um, might help you with the case you percentage with. One thing which is of note is uh, as you progress yourself through each case, some of the clues may appear from a previous news from a newspaper from a previous case, so it's it's worthwhile. Bearing that in mind when trying to solve cases of that particular uh, day, it's one where you are you are essentially you know you are playing the sleuth and trying to develop um, the skills which make you comparable to sherlock um, it, it's It's great, it's lovely um, It's one where you are scribbling notes down, trying to work out if if a clue is a red herring which will progress you to f- solving the case or if it's something which is essential. Uh, once you've got an idea as to who done it uh who actually was um the culprit in the particular crime you are then invited to go back to sherlock who will pose you a number of questions um the case book or the case the, the case um notes which you're given it, it it it's got the same feel as a um a choose adventure so when you are exploring the map, you'll have the map is divided into different districts of London, and each location has a particular number. So, if you're after information for a particular site, you find that particular area in the actual case notes and pick out a particular and find that particular reference point, that particular number, and you you read aloud what what happens there. Um, when it comes to um, approaching Sherlock, um, you are given a, a series of questions. Uh, which you are invited to answer, and then you come. Then you read aloud what, how Sherlock solved the case. Um, Sherlock will show you which locations he went to, uh, which um, and how he solved the case. Essentially, um, he's assumed to score a perfect hundred, um, and that's the, and that's the score to beat. Essentially, that's the score to get to. Get to. Um, you get points for. Going to for obviously answering the questions correctly, you you lose points for uh for the number of locations you went to. So if you go around the board asking questions everywhere, you will start losing points. Whereas if you're if if you've got a laser-eyed kind of vision as to it's clear this, this, and this, you will get more points. One thing which is of note is when it comes to um consulting with Sherlock, there are questions which aren't always pertinent to the case in hand. So you're kind of trying to second guess when it comes to actually the cases in hand. Is this something which is likely to be asked, which is outside the case? Or again, is this a red herring? So it, it, it's, it can be infuriating because you're trying to second guess, actually, is this something which is going to come up when, when, when you when you do actually go and, and speak to Sherlock? Um Terry loved this because she's a fan of puzzles. She hated it because um, she was waiting for other people, or myself rather, to catch up with her way of thinking. I I, I did very much feel like, you know, what's into her homes. But what she did enjoy was um, being able to actually kind of rationalise some of her thought processes and have someone to bounce those ideas off. So it's a game that she can play, so it's a game you can play with a lot of people. But I do feel having um limited to two people is great. You know, you, you do feel as if you are immerse yourself in the world of Sherlock and Watson. And by having two people, you're not constantly battling to get yourself out and get your ideas heard. But at uh, but, but, but the same time, having the second person, it does sharpen um, what it is you're looking for uh, in regards to the clues and how you can go about beating Holmes. Um, we've done a write. We've gone, we've probably about halfway through the actual, the original. Um, box there are i think there's about six different um boxes consisting consistent about i think there's usually about 10 cases in each um like i say we've got the regional consultant detective there are the there are the there are the, um consultant detective boxes out there which i've heard great news about and i'm sure we'll probably be picking up one or two once we finish this um so yeah if you're after a Another game which you can play with a small group of people or a partner over the course of an evening, which again doesn't its Welcome. I would highly recommend Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. And as it's a game which is a cooperative game, which my partner doesn't enjoy, and it's a game we, we we've both enjoyed, it's definitely been my fourth highlight of two thousand and twenty. So my last um, big moment of two thousand and twenty was. Um, well, on my birthday, I finally managed to get myself um, given uh, a Grail game that I've been up for some time, which um, is a game that's out of print and also a game that's set in the wonderful realm of 40k. Um, it's a game known as Forbidden Stars. Um, if you're unfamiliar with, with either 40k or Forbidden Stars, um, 40k is um, a part of the Games Workshop warhammer range set in the far-flung future where there's only war Um, and forbidden stars is a game that was um, commissioned by uh, fantasy flight alongside games workshop and uh, combined some of the great aspects of 40k into a dudes on the map um, um, war game Um, i'll probably come back to this and give a more of a better review of the game at some point later but um, yes, it it was a grail game that have been off for some time it's been out of print and to get my hands on it was just an absolute godsend, so yeah, glad to get my hands on it um, so yeah uh, all in all, it's been a bit of an interesting year this year, um, ups and downs highs and lows and uh, one to remember uh, hopefully next year will be a better year all around and there'll be even more fantastic memories to be made. Uh, till next time. This is Pete signing up.
0: So my review of 2020. Well it's been the pig of a year hasn't it. For so many people. And I'm not wanting to trivialise just from a ball gaming point of view. Because I appreciate that people have lost their lives and their jobs. Myself including in that last statement. But here at Tabletop Ramble. I do like to think that we are quite a positive bunch. And we do like to try and find the best in a bad situation. So one of the big issues you'll find being a board gamer is that what you really need to play a good board game 90% of the time is people will play with and that's just not been possible for the majority of the year. So it's not really fair to review many games on that basis like many of the others. This is going to be quite light in the likes of big Euro games for example but like I say there has been some positives. Although COVID nineteen did put a block on the convention scene and the uh, gaming groups, I do feel that the industry made quite a good effort in the trying to go online. Now, do I prefer these to meeting face to face? Of course not, but I do think that it was still a positive in the way that the industry was able to adjust and still produce some damn good quality things to view. I had a really good time looking at UK Game Expo, for example, and I took in a lot more side shows that I wouldn't normally get the chance to see. I still got a chance to play with other people from across the country, utilising different things like Tabletopia and uh, Vassal, things like that. So, again, we we're, were able to be quite a resilient bunch and find a good way of around things and trying to play. Now. Now this year led to a lot of children being away from school for quite a long period where they had to be home tutored. Mine were exactly the same and yeah so that was interesting having to play teacher to your own kids. But what this did mean was that they were around quite a bit and I was able to spend quite a bit of time playing with them. Now a lot of the games I played with them will already be mentioned in the gaming with kids episode that we recorded earlier in the year. So feel free to jump back on that. What I would do. I'd like to highlight a couple. That have been absolutely fantastic. And I feel that have really brought us together. The first one for that. Was probably Zombie Kids. It was absolutely brilliant. To watch my children take the lead. And give me orders. And explain their ideas. And what they wanted to do. When it comes to taking out the zombies. I'm not going to go over too much of the details. Of how the game plays. Because that was mentioned in another edition. But. The fact that this was legacy and the joy they got with the rewards. So this was a game that we picked up last Christmas. And it's absolutely brilliant to think that the kids constantly were going back to it to pick it up to play it again. A game that's got that amount of replayability has got to be good. Star Saga has been absolutely brilliant for us this year as well. The way that I've been able to play with my kids, especially my young lad who's really keen to always get this out. and Even if they just want to build the scenery. But it's been really good to actually go on an adventure with the ones. And, and I can't wait to actually go into some of the expansions as well and to see how far we can push this game. A game that I didn't mention in the uh, previous episode about gaming with kids was Untold Adventures Await. And this is a game that utilizes Rory Story Dice. It's absolutely brilliant for children that are quite creative and they like making up stories. It's done from the point of a view where you're actually trying to make your own story almost like a film. And the dice, instead of having numbers on they have pictures. And they can be quite random of what they've got on them. And so you could have some that are, say, based on fantasy. You could have some that are based on sport we've got a batman set for example because my little lad is batman crazy but it was absolutely brilliant to just watch them sit down and roll these dice and just come up with their own stories and yeah i really do recommend that one you don't have to play the big game if you don't want to you can literally just get a few of these dice and we was doing it as a night time story so we just get a handful of dice roll it out and then we'd all have to together pick a dice and see where this story would take us taking it in turns absolutely fantastic so yeah it's been really enjoyable spending some quality gaming time with my kids and you know building some nice uh, bonds that i'm hoping will never get broken now unfortunately my partner she's not a big gamer so being stuck in the house with somebody is a gamer probably drove her up the wall because I'm constantly oh do you want to do this do you want to play that do you want to do and this one oh no yeah so that was a bit of a struggle that being said she did humor me a few times and we did discover that she really does like quite puzzly games and so she's a big fan of escape room games so we've been playing quite a few exit games and some unlocks We've recently just picked up Star Wars Unlock and we've played the first mission on that one and I'm a massive Star Wars nut, I must admit. So to get an unlock, it's set in uh, the Star Wars world. Yeah, it's definitely ticking all the boxes for me. The adventure I played, the theme just fit absolutely brilliant. So I was a big fan of that. Another game that she did quite enjoy it was Loot of Lima. This was a Kickstarter that I previously backed. Uh, it's designed by Larry Levi and is produced by BoardGameTables.com. It plays from one to five players for 14 plus, and takes between an hour and 75 minutes to play. Again, I've done a review on this in the previous episode, so if you want to go back to that to have a listen, yeah, more than welcome. Uh, so I won't go into too much detail about it, but what I would say for anybody who likes puzzly type games, sort of similar, almost, it reminded me a little bit like a Sudoku feel to it. Anybody who likes that sort of activity, this is well worthwhile playing. And the last game we played quite a bit of was Codenames Duets. This is made by CGE. And I'm going to apologise for I even such attempt it. And this is designed by, here comes the apology already, but I'm going to try it, Vlada <laughs> But Again, I'm sorry. I know uh, Codenames, it's a bit of a Marmite game, but Duets, it seems to be, for me, the best of the bunch. I, I, I mean, I am a fan of Codenames anyway, but the Duet. Version it actually works really well as a two-player game, and the fact that it has a like a mini campaign to it as well, it really does add. And again, my partner, she's not a big gamer, but she really enjoys uh, sitting down and playing this one. Plus, my daughter picked up the Disney version last year at the UK Game Expo, so we were able to play some of it with her by mixing some of the Disney characters as well. Which yeah, just took it up another notch. We've had a lot of good memories playing this one this year. What this year has meant has been that there's been quite a bit of solo play. Now one of my favourite games that come out this year that you can play solo is called Super Skill Pinball 4K. This was designed by Jeff Engelstein and uh, published by Whiskey Games. This is an absolute brilliant roll and write game that uses the theme of pinball machines. The, the mechanism just seem to fit perfectly with the theme. The way that you would roll a dice and you get to pick what way you want the ball to go down. So as it's dropping down, it will sort of bounce off of different things. The game comes with four different tables, each with got its own unique style of art and challenges. You've got first of all you've got the cyber hack, which is a cyberpunk style one where you're looking to try and steal data from an evil corporation. There's also the Dance Fever, which is like a 1970s style disco infernos type game. There's one called Carnival, which basically is based on a circus fairground coming to town. So there'll be, say, a Ferris wheel or there might be the Hammer Strength Test. So and all of these just blend perfectly with the pinball theme. And the final one was called Dragon Slayer. And in this one, you're going to take on the role of a young wizard and looking to defeat enemies in a fantasy world. As I said, the game works absolutely brilliant as a pinball machine. The ball's dropping lower, 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 and then you're looking to roll the dice. And hopefully you'll get something that's good enough to use your flipper to bounce it all the way back up to the top. It works really well solo, and I'm sure it'll work great for players as well, because you do get four tables of each one in the uh, pack also, it is available as a print and play. I, I think it's a cyberball one, which is uh, available as a print and play. But I'm sure if you go on the BGG, I believe it's available to download there. One of the darkest things I've probably done uh, was as soon as we were announced going to lockdown, the first game I pulled out to play solo was a uh, Pandemic. To be honest, it's still a classic game, and it still works really well to this day. I don't feel it's a game that's actually aged badly at all. So I had great fun playing that and then trying to use all the different characters in different ways. Really enjoyed it and it's given me hours of fun and kept me occupied while, yeah, (laughs) the world was having a pandemic. This was designed by Matt Laycock and is published by Z-Man Games. It plays from one to four players, takes normally around about 45 minutes to play and is recommended for ages eight years plus. The final solo game that I spent quite a bit of time on was another Kickstarter I backed called Delve. A game of digging too deep, which is a solo game about basically digging your way through a dwarven hold as you try to uh, face the different terrors that you're going to come up against. All you need to play this one is just a piece of paper, ideally if you've got some uh, square grid lines on it, and uh, a pencil and a deck of cards. It's a very simple game to play so basically all you would do you would just draw a card. So each card relates to something different that will be appearing on your map that you're going to draw. So for example the hearts and the diamonds they're generally pretty good to you and they'll give you say resources or goods that you can trade. Or the clubs and spades can be say natural rock formations or uh, rivers or they can maybe be forgotten ruins from ancient libraries. If you're not careful you could also uncover maybe a horde of ravenous insects or maybe a band of goblins. It has a very nice simple combat system in it which is sort of based around the rock paper scissor mechanic. If you defeat them in combat then you're able to carry on going and uncover more of this dwarven hold to see if you can find more treasure down there. One thing you do need to be careful of is the black joker that could be in the deck. And if you draw that then this one really is a big bad nasty and you really do need your wits about you to try and get away. So a fantastic little game, dead simple to play. The thing I really like about it is that after say half hour of playing you can look back and you've sort of created a nice little map as a reward for your adventure. Some people have even been known to keep these and then use them in their own RPG games as well. This is still available on itch.io, I believe it costs around about £7, and it's designed by Anna Blackwell. There's also a couple of other ones in there, so you've got Umbra, which is like a sci-fi version where you're trying to colonise a planet. Or there's Rise, which sort of flips Delve on its head, and it puts you in charge of the Dungeon Keeper and you're trying to grow your minion empire and so you can get ready to take over so that's quite a good almost reverse dungeon crawler so you're actually trying to create the dungeon so that one was good fun as well my last big highlight of the year is actually creating the tabletop ramble now this was saying the me and mac kind of looked at doing a little while ago um we tried maybe looking at youtube and things like that it was hard to get it off the ground with us both working and we were working different hours so it was quite difficult to actually get our diaries to match up where we could have a bit of free time and really crack on but because of 2020 the way it is it actually did give me quite a bit of uh, spare time because i was furloughed for quite a bit of it so i thought you know what i'm gonna take advantage and i'm gonna try and do something productive with it so that has led to the tabletop ramble now this has been absolutely fantastic i didn't know how well it would take off whether i would just be prattling on to myself or whether anybody would listen but we're over 1700 listeners as we speak so we must be doing something right we've also had very positive feedback from some game publishers that have been very keen to help us and um, game designers that have given their time up and do interview with us it's been absolutely amazing then Feedspot voted us as one of the best tabletop podcasts. That just of was the cherry on the top. It's allowed us to form a nice little team. I can't thank the guys enough for the way that they've helped out and chipped in with their bits and pieces. I feel like we've got a nice squad that's building and like different specialities that are covered with this. I'm sure you'll agree they've been a fantastic addition to the podcast rather than listening to one idiot just drone on. It's nice to have some different opinions and different voices. And here's hoping that we stick around and do uh, even more stuff in the future. Whilst it has been time consuming, it has been very rewarding and it has kept me occupied and it's allowed me to get some things off my chest and given us a platform to talk about some things that we really enjoy doing. And lastly, I would really like to say thank you to all the guys out there that have listened to us and given us some really nice feedback. It's things like that that really help get me through the year. And hopefully it's kept you entertained through some of the lonely hours of boredom. It's probably kept me sane and actually got me through 2020. It's time for the Kickstarter kick around. First up this week, I want to take a look at The Winter Queen by designer and here we go, Yuri Zhuravlev, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm terrible with names, I'll, I'll try again, Yuri Zhuravlev, basically he was a guy who done Space Explorers and Viceroy, so he's got a good pedigree, and this is being published by Crow D Games, so the Winter Queen is a beautiful looking abstract strategy game, as a wizard in the Winter Queen's annual competition, you cast spells and as you take on other wizards to try to claim the title of the Queen's Key Advisor. During your turn you're going to draft some colourful crystals and place them on the game map board which is known as the Queendom thereby creating beautiful colour patterns and gathering spellbooks. On your turn you may activate your spellbooks to produce spells and gather victory points in the form of golden coins. Whoever has the most golden coins at the end wins the title of the Queen's new Key Advisor. It's a beautiful-looking game, plays between two to four players, ages 10 plus, and should take between 20 and 30 minutes. You'll be able to pick up the regular edition for £22, or you can get the Royal Wizard level, which includes two mini expansions plus a solo mini expansion, and that's for £28. You've not got long to back this one though, as this one is due to finish on Thursday, December the 31st. <coughs> While I was a virtual visitor at this year's UK Games Expo, one of the shows I took in was called The Story Master. In The Story Master, there was a guy who was dressed up like a wizard, and he was going through a book, reading out different stories, a bit like a Choose Your Own Adventure style. What I failed to realise was this was actually a game, and he's bringing out some expansions for it on Kickstarter. Story Master Tales is a perfect blend of the old-fashioned Choose Your Own Adventure books mixed in with some RPG and even including board game similar to Escape the Dark Castle. In the game you'll be able to pick characters, most of them quite familiar, rogues and rangers, things like that. Each character will of course have its own different strengths and weaknesses. There's a main book which will have the story of what you're trying to work through and it will be a case of do you want to do A, B or C, you pick what you want to do and off you go on that path. All very familiar. As I said, it's also got a board game element where it will cross over and you'll have cards that you'll be able to draw. These will add to your abilities or there might be items that you can find. The artwork style is very reminiscent of old-fashioned 80s black and white. Very similar to what you find in, again, Escape the Dark Castle and fighting fantasy novels. In these adventures, you'll enter a world of folklore fantasy, epic storytelling and mighty magic. Is set in the grim world of the 18th century Dark Fairy Tales. You will make your own treacherous pathway through the deep dungeons, weird woodlands and mighty towers, encounter strange mystical creatures and find lost arcane artefacts. The game plays for 1-5 players and is recommended for ages 6 years plus. Playing time is between 1 and 3 hours, you can split it up how you want. The rules are really easy and adaptable and will make an excellent family game. There's a variety of pledge levels starting from £15, which is for the Deeper Into the Dungeon expansion. You'll need the Draco Deep dungeon based game to play that. If you prefer, you can get it as a print and play, and this would include the Towers and the Deeper Into the Dungeon, and that will cost you £25. If you want the Towers game, which is a standalone expansion, that is available for £30. You can also use this with the expansions draco deep dungeon or the weird in woods there are other price fans available that include a variety of different things you could go all the way up to the In, which includes everything that they've done so far so in that you'd get the weird in woods draco deep dungeon and towers plus the deeper into woods and deeper into dungeons expansions and that would set you back 110 pounds it's absolutely smashed through its funding goal of only 500 pounds this is due to finish on Friday, January the 8th. And the last one this week, again, we're going right to the very budget end of things. How about four games for £2? I'm talking about Postcard Board Games by T. Charles Hauser. In this little Kickstarter, there's four games and these are all put on postcards. The first one is called Trazam where you are an adventurer in search of treasure. Your goal is to arm their facts and bring them to a the museum for display. Your journey begins at a campsite in the wilderness where you will scavenge for ancient items. Once found, you make your way to the city, deliver the goods before the explorers do. But be aware for a dangerous lurk all around. This is 1-4 to four players, takes about 15 minutes and is for 7+. plus. Or maybe you fancy something a little bit more sci-fi. In that case you could go for the Alien Bellum. This is a two player game. Where you'll battle it out in a space war as you hop across different planets. Where the goal is to try and capture three of your opponents alien spaceships. This again is for 7 plus and should take about 15 minutes. Maybe you fancy coming back down to earth and maybe trying your luck in the frozen arctic circle. Your mission is get to Fika station by rail. Sounds easy enough but the way is filled with dangerous animals that you must pass. Choose a character and use those powers to challenge those of the beast you encounter. Gather items to supplement your abilities along the way. You could go solo or work together as a group. And this one is 1-4 one players, takes 20 minutes, ages 7+. And the last one is a little co-op game for 1-4 to four players called Hetty's Revenge. I've got no idea what it's about though. Okay, this one should again take about 7 minutes and it's ages again for 7+. plus. Now these aren't going to be your great A-star titles, but what they are is a nice bit of fun that in these days of where we're struggling to get together, maybe you could send a postcard to a friend and give them a little board game. So I think that's an absolutely cracking little idea. You could get all four for £2. Uh, These would be digital print and plays. Or if you wanted to, you could pay £4 and you could get a postcard of just one of them. Or if you fancied all four, then that would cost you £15. Now, one thing I would like to say is that it does also include postage as well, so pretty reasonable, really. At the time of recording, there's 12 days to go, so this one should be finishing on Monday, January 11th. Well, that's the end of another show and the last one of the year. Hopefully 2020 hasn't been all bad for you and you've been able to pick out quite a few highlights yourself. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Adam, Rob, Pete and Matt for not only today's show, but for all the shows throughout the year. Here's hoping 2021 is a really good one for you. So happy new year. Make sure you all stay safe, stay healthy and we'll see you in 2021.